great father-son moment to witness. What a great morning of music we've had. Thank you so much, everyone. Let's stand together as Beth comes this morning to read our scripture. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home in his, as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we continue in our Advent series, which I've entitled Heaven Came Down, this is part of looking at the stories during the Advent season when God spoke miraculously to people when all of this was happening right there in the first century. And, and, and heaven came down as literally God was speaking to people and bringing them into this incredible story that the turning point in the world's history and choosing to involve so many of these folks whose stories we've been telling now for centuries as they were brought in to be a part of the incredible thing that God was doing. And next up is Joseph in this story and, and these Advent stories about when heaven came down to earth. And I want to begin with this quote that's attributed to Benjamin Franklin, that some people die at 25, but then they're buried at 75. And that's so true. There are so many who never move very far past adolescence. And they reach a point in their life where they stop growing. They stop learning. They simply settle only for that which is comfortable or pleasurable. But Joseph of Nazareth was not one of those people. In just the brief glimpses that we get of his life throughout the Advent stories, we see Joseph as a man who kept growing in God. And he kept growing deeper in his knowledge and in his faith. And he stands out in these stories as such a godly example in so many ways. Matthew chapter 1 is where Joseph's story begins for us. Matthew chapter 1 is the moment when heaven came down and God spoke to Joseph through an angel. But if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 1, it doesn't actually begin with Joseph. But it's yet another chapter in the Bible that begins with a long genealogy, a long list of names. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you're tempted when you come across those genealogies in the Bible just to skip on past them. In some ways, it's because there are lots of names that are hard to pronounce. In other ways, it's because you might feel a little bit guilty that you need to stop and you need to look up every one of those names or try to remember those stories because it, it has to be important if they're in the Bible. And what does all of that mean? Well, Matthew chapter 1's genealogy is incredibly important to begin the Advent story. 
Because as you read through that list of names, some of the stories will be familiar, some you might have to go look up. But each and every one of them doesn't just represent a history or family or even a bloodline. Each and every one of those names represents a story of God's promise. And as the Advent story unfolds, each of those names is important because they represent not only promise but prophecy and all that is being fulfilled in the story of Advent, the coming of the Messiah with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All of those names are are promises that were made now being fulfilled in these moments. What's also interesting about the genealogy in Matthew 1, this bloodline is not tracing down to Mary in this case, but to Joseph. Yet Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. He simply bears the important family name, the connection that the promises made to the people of old through the line of David are promises about Jesus, but they're also promises being fulfilled in Joseph's life as well. So just as we did last week with Zechariah and Elizabeth, so this week with Joseph's story here in Heaven Came Down, the stories of Advent, we're going to go scene by scene. And scene one is starting in verse 18, where we meet Joseph of Nazareth, who was pledged to be married to Mary, who would be the mother of Jesus. I love the way Akur Niangozi, who's a pastor from Burundi, describes Joseph. He says, we don't know a lot about Joseph. He's one of the biblical characters of whom very little is said. He's not a political leader or a great prophet. In fact, his name might be absent from the Bible, except he was chosen to be the guardian of the Messiah. That's who Joseph was, and if we take the whole of Scripture, every time Joseph is mentioned, either during his life or later on during Jesus' ministry, when when they're looking back on his family and his upbringing, we can actually compile all of that, and we can learn quite a bit about Joseph, even though throughout the biblical story, Joseph never actually says a word. So if you read through the Advent stories, and every time Joseph's name is mentioned— He never actually speaks in the biblical record, but his life speaks to us loudly. One of the things that certainly is best known about Joseph was that he was a man who worked with his hands. And in many cases, we we call him a carpenter because it's been said for, for ages now, Jesus was the son of a carpenter. But actually, the word that's used for Joseph in the Bible is not the word for carpenter, but it's the word tectone. And if you hear in that Greek word tectonics, the word tectone doesn't always mean a carpenter, but but more often it means a stonemason. And if you've ever visited Israel before, you'll, you'll notice that there's a lot more stone than there is wood. So there's been some debate about what Joseph's job actually might have been. Well, if you dig a little bit deeper into who a tectone was in the ancient world, especially in ancient Israel, the tectone was a man who was a builder. He was a project manager. Yes, he would work with stone, but he would also work with whatever other materials were available. So a tectone might work with stone. He might work with wood. He might work with metal. But really, his responsibility was to build and to create or to repair and to fix, to be something like a builder or a contractor. And so I imagine Jesus growing up with a front row seat of a blue-collar worker who worked with his hands, gave his very best, and created things that that he and Jesus, as they worked together, they could be proud of. Digging into the, the whole of Scripture just a little bit more, 
there's one particular passage that jumps out to me that I think might actually be a window into what Jesus learned with his earthly father, Joseph. Because if you think about Jesus' teaching, when Jesus used the examples, he didn't talk about carpentry. Most of the time he talked about agriculture and farming and fishing or even investing. But there's one particular story where Jesus talks about counting the cost. In fact, the the context of this scripture that I'll show you is Jesus saying, whoever does not carry their own cross cannot be my disciple. He was teaching about the fact that, that anyone who really sets out to follow Jesus closely is going to suffer. It's not always going to to be easy. And so Jesus says you need to count the cost before you make this decision because the cost may be that you too carry your own cross. But then here's the example he uses. Luke 14, verse 28 through 30. Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build but wasn't able to finish. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the son of a builder who's seen this happen. He knows the stories of those other tectones, those other builders who have set out to complete a task and they didn't finish and everybody ridiculed them. Jesus had a front row seat with a hard-working father who taught him a lot about the value of the job that he did. But we also can say from the whole of Scripture that Joseph proved to be a man who lived with integrity. He worked with his hands, but he also lived with integrity, and that is certainly abundantly clear when we first meet him here in the way he deals with Mary and the way he deals with this unexpected pregnancy. In fact, it helps us just a little bit to understand what Joseph was thinking and why it's important that he acted the way he did if we just dig a little deeper into first century Jewish marriage and the first century Jewish marriage process. There were two stages to Jewish marriage in the first century. There was the Kiddushin stage, which means you are legally bound to each other. Okay, so you have entered into a binding marital contract But the husband has not yet slept with the young lady. He's not yet brought her into his home. The second phase then is Nishuin. And in Nishuin, it's when that moment comes that the marriage is consummated and the man brings the wife into his home and now they live together as husband and wife. Both are legal structures, legal situations, but you go from the first stage to the second, which then helps us understand where Mary and Joseph were. Because we're told that the language here in English is that they were pledged to be married. They were in the Kiddushin stage. They were in that first stage where they were legally bound together. They didn't live together. They hadn't slept together. But for Joseph to break off this marriage, he would have to enter into legal proceedings and he would have to divorce her. So, of course, when Joseph finds out that she's pregnant, this situation gets very complicated for him. Thankfully, we're told, Matthew says, Joseph was a righteous man. That that word for faithful to the law, it's the word righteous. He was a righteous man. He was faithful to the law. And and he had decided to divorce her privately so that he wouldn't bring shame to her. Basically, when Mary turned up to be pregnant, Joseph believed he had two choices. 
He could follow the letter of the law. He could do things the old school way. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 and 24, he could have taken Mary outside the city gate and he could have had her stoned to death. We see an example of this later on in the Gospels with the woman who's caught in adultery. Obviously, this practice was still happening during Jesus' day because in that story, a woman is drug out of her home and a group is gathered around and the mob is angry and they're about to stone her to death. So according to the letter of the law, Joseph could have done that when he found out Mary was pregnant. His other option, though, was to divorce her privately. He would still face public embarrassment, but in this case, he would be able to show God's compassion and also what I think we see as Joseph's character, but also his love for Mary. She would not be shamed and she would not be physically punished for her pregnancy. So Joseph's weighing the options. And he makes up his mind. He chooses option number two. I'm just going to divorce her quietly. Joseph made his plan, but God had other plans. Scene two is the moment when heaven came down. This is when God spoke directly to Joseph through an angel of the Lord in a dream. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... And that title, by the way, is really, really important. Joseph is the only person besides Jesus in the entire New Testament who's called son of David. When the angel addresses him this way, it ties us back to that genealogy in the beginning of the book of Matthew. All of those promises, all of that prophecy, scripture that Joseph certainly grew up knowing well, but could have never imagined was going to be fulfilled in his own life and in his own family. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to enter that second stage of marriage. Do not be afraid to take Mary into your home as your wife. Because even though she's pregnant by someone besides you, what is conceived in her is not from a human being. What is conceived in her is from God's own Holy Spirit. We might say it this way. Joseph... Mary's pregnancy is not a sign of unfaithfulness, but it's a sign of faithfulness. She is a woman who is greatly favored by God. And you are a man who has been faithful to the law. And so what's happening in her is a sign of God's faithfulness, but it's also a response to your faithfulness, you and Mary and the godly people that you are. And God is going to take your faithful obedience and he's going to bring it together with his faithfulness and something incredible like the world has never known is about to happen. And it's going to happen through you and your family. She will give birth to a son. And you were to give him the name Jesus, the name Yeshua, which going all the way back to the Hebrew Scriptures means the Lord is salvation. You were to name him Jesus because the Lord is going to save his people from their sins. Your son is not coming to deliver you from the Romans. Though his, his birth and his ministry will set captives free, he is coming to liberate the oppressed. He is coming to bring justice onto the earth, just as Isaiah prophesied, just as we sang about a moment ago. His purpose, though, above all, is to save his people spiritually from their sins, 
to set them free, to make it possible that they might receive forgiveness, to make it possible that through the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, they might have a way to their heavenly Father. Your son, the Lord is salvation, is going to save his people from their sins. And all of this, Joseph, all of this is taking place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. That prophet Isaiah, Joseph, that you know well, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In the end, we'll, we'll read Mary's story later on in, in our series. In the end, both Mary and Joseph, they have the same story to tell. They're given the same message, the same good news, the same explanation. But we have to ask the question, who would have believed their story? And, and even more than that, I have to ask the fair question, would I have believed it? Would, would I have believed Joseph? Would I have believed Mary? Would I have believed their story if I were a relative, if I were a friend, if I were a neighbor? I love the way Timothy Keller says, their family, friends, and neighbors they would have been able to do the math at some point when the child was born. Everybody in that, that honor and shame society, they would know that that child was not born nine months or ten months after they were married. They would have been able to do the math, and in the minds of their community, that would mean that either Joseph and Mary had broken God's law by sleeping together before they were married, or that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph. But either way, they were likely to be shamed, socially excluded, and rejected. They might have been second-class citizens forever in their community. But despite what anyone thought or might have thought, scene three, those last two verses we read, tell us that Joseph walked in obedience to the Lord's command. When he woke up, he did exactly as God commanded him through the angel. He moved into stage two of the marriage process. He took Mary into his home as his wife. He did not sleep with her until after Jesus was born. And then we see here, just like we saw with Zechariah, the father gets the final say in naming the child. And here again, Joseph is obedient. He gives the child the name Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, just as God commanded and we are reminded that one of the most important signs that the Holy Spirit of God is working in the life of a person is not just based on the content of their knowledge or the words that they speak, but it's seen through their actions, it's seen through their obedience. And jo Joseph is a godly man being led by the Spirit of God who executes faithfully exactly what God has commanded him to do. And I love the way one ancient Christian said it. Joseph became a trustworthy foster father for our Lord and Savior. Indeed, he did. He was an example, though, and this is going to sound strange. He was an example, though. He was an example also for Jesus. Because think about it. Jesus didn't come to the earth. It was not God's plan that he just transported down here as a full-grown adult or as an angel or as a divine being. He was divine, but he was also fully human. He came to the earth as an infant. 
And so Joseph had this role in Jesus' life as his earthly father. As Jesus was being nurtured and raised and educated, Joseph was that father in his life. I love the way Dan Darling describes it. He said, when Jesus began his ministry, it was his father, Joseph, who was better known than he. Remember, Jesus, when he first comes back to his hometown, they just call him the carpenter's son, the tectone's son. Jesus was also in his childhood defined by his father. He was, again, that tectone son. And it's hard for us to fathom, but Jesus, fully God and yet fully human, likely learned most of what he knew from Joseph. The scripture from Deuteronomy that he quoted when he was tempted in the wilderness was probably first heard from the lips of Joseph. And I love this. The care that he showed toward the weak and the vulnerable was first exhibited by the self-sacrifice of his earthly dad, the way Joseph treated Mary, the way Joseph took in Jesus and raised him as his own son, just as God commanded. That obedience and integrity and exemplary godliness is clear in Joseph's life. And it continued on into the next season of this family's life and this family's journey. The next two scenes, which we're not going to read... But you're probably very familiar with the first one, maybe familiar also with the second. We talk about the first one a lot. We'll talk about it on Christmas Eve. When Joseph then has to take the lead as the patriarch, as the head of household, as the leader of the family, and in response to the decision of a man in power, Caesar Augustus, Joseph has to pick up his family and take them from Nazareth, which is in the northern part of Israel and Galilee, all the way down to Judea, past Jerusalem, and to Bethlehem. In fact, both of these scenes, when, when Joseph has to pick up his family and take them on the move, both times it's in response to the decisions of a man who's in power. When they go to Bethlehem, of course, they're there just for a short time because Caesar Augustus has made the decree that a census be taken. And now that a census needs to be taken of the entire world, everybody has to go back to their hometown to register. So when we see pictures and paintings of Joseph and pregnant Mary riding on a long, winding, lonely road all by themselves, that's really not probably what it looked like. Because we know from history there were lots of Judean Jews who were living up in Galilee in places like Nazareth. And so lots of people as a big group had to go down to places like Jerusalem and Bethlehem to register back in the area of Judea. And, and Joseph was in charge of his group. And he had pregnant Mary and, 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 and the baby that they would bear, and they were his responsibility. And on those long, dangerous roads, he executed that role faithfully. And as a dad protecting his family, he got them where they needed to be. But the second scene is even more extreme than that. And it's one that people often miss. That later on, after Jesus is born, after he's presented in the temple, after the wise men, the magi, come to visit, once again, Joseph has a dream. What is it, by the way, about guys named Joseph in the Bible and dreaming dreams? It seems like a common thing if your name is Joseph. Joseph has another dream. The angel speaks to him, and he says, again, a powerful man is making a decision that's going to affect your family, and this time it's putting you in harm's way. Because this powerful man is not Caesar, it's Herod the Great. And Herod the Great, if you know your history, was one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. He also had an incredible amount of power that was unchecked because he'd made a deal with the devil. 
he made a deal with the Roman Empire and basically Herod could do whatever he wanted especially among the Jews and when Herod learned that this child had been born a child who he saw as a threat to his power you know that part of the story he put out the edict that all the young boys up to the age of two were to be put to death God warns Joseph in a dream your family's in danger and Joseph does what so many families even still today have to do he packs up his family and he crosses an international border and they stay in Egypt for years until God tells them it's safe to come back to Nazareth and Joseph again bearing that responsibility to get his family safely to refuge does an amazing job when I think about Joseph this is Jesus family what it was like for them at a young age I think their story is a lot different than my own their story is a lot like those who have to flee and seek refuge something I've never had to do though some of you in this room have and so when I hear someone in a broad statement denigrate migrants or refugees it offends me it ought to offend you because Jesus family looked a lot more like that than what I've experienced and Joseph all along God leads him the spirit is a part of of all this decision making and God chose a great man to be the head of the household for Jesus earthly family I think most of you have probably heard by now but but in my own family I experienced a deep loss this week last Sunday when I was preaching I had no idea that the very next day my grandfather was going to pass away I had no idea that between last Sunday and today that I would be laying him to rest but my grandfather who I called Beepaw was a wonderful godly influence in my life a man of deep character integrity obedience faithfulness to God a man who was a father figure for me in many years of my life and our relationship was very very special just like Jesus was blessed with a godly man in his life in Joseph so I was with my grandfather Harold the day after he passed away I decided to take the morning off and I decided to go out to the pond behind our house and fish because that was my Beepaw's favorite thing to do he wasn't much of a hunter he wasn't a golfer but boy did he love to fish and he was really good at it so I decided even though it's not great weather for pond fishing I'm going to go out and spend the, the entire morning and, and fish until I at least catch one fish so I was out there for about two hours I worked that entire pond from left to right in the shallow parts of the pond I was wearing sunglasses where I could I could see the bass and the catfish looking at my bait and just saying nope not today <laughs> and and I keep going and I, I'm like you know Lord this really was supposed to be special and so I'm, I'm praying okay God I don't care if it's the smallest bass in the pond I just want to catch a fish okay and then I this this is just sometimes what we do I say and just in case B Paul's hanging out with you today Lord can he give me some help okay he's the master fisherman I fished for two hours and caught nothing and so I reeled in and, and I'm walking back towards my house and and for whatever reason the scripture came to mind cast your nets on the other side okay and I remember that when Jesus said that to, to Peter and the others who were fishing before they came disciples became disciples they, they they scoffed at him they're like do you do you think we didn't already try that and so in my mind it was go back to the spot where you started right behind your house 
and just cast in one more time do you do you think i didn't already try that okay go back and cast one more time so i go back and i say all right god i know this is it this is it so i i cast out there cast your nets on the other side and i reel in i reel in and and nothing i mean i is this not the worst ending to the story i I know you were going to hope i was going to say and i caught the biggest fish in the pond or i left empty-handed and as i look back on that day and i look back on that moment i thought i didn't walk away with a fish but i did walk away with a good laugh and i needed a good laugh and i also got a sermon illustration okay and here it is here it is joseph's story in the rest of scripture it doesn't have that poetic movie ending after this episode in egypt they return back to nazareth the next time we see joseph is when they go to the temple and jesus is 12 and then after that joseph just fades away into silence we don't know anything more about what happens but one thing that seems to be abundantly clear is that even jesus had to deal with the loss of a loved one at a young age because somewhere along the way his earthly father joseph the stonemason the carpenter the tectone the builder who had invested so much in him he too passed away and jesus had to deal with that loss and yet even though joseph died in what many people might have said before his time the echoes of his life and his character and his integrity and his obedience live on we can look back at this story and say that joseph was the right man for the job some people die at 25 and then they're buried at 75 but not joseph he just kept getting better and he just kept growing deeper and throughout history he will forever stand as the example of one who was faithful as the foster father of our lord and savior jesus christ but this morning as we bring our time of of study and and teaching and preaching to a close i want you to remember that our worship is not directed towards joseph he's not the main person we're here to talk about today joseph was a good man but it was his foster son his surrogate son the son of god who saved us from our sins it's jesus christ who is worthy of worship it's jesus whose name means the lord is salvation It's Jesus who is our Emmanuel. That when we say heaven came down, we're not just talking about old stories that have no relevance for today, but we mean that heaven came down because Jesus Christ has come to the earth. He put on flesh. He dwelled among us as a human being. He is our Emmanuel. And you and I can say with full confidence just as much as those in the Advent stories that God is with us because of jesus christ today if you have never put your faith and your trust in christ for salvation this is your opportunity this last moment when we have our time of invitation of response if you know today that christ is speaking to your heart but you have never truly trusted him as savior you've never truly called him lord don't leave here today without knowing emmanuel and experiencing what it's like to walk with him and to live with him now and forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that we see in Jesus Christ promises fulfilled. 
promises made going all the way back to the garden when the first human being sinned against you. Promises made to people who make the list of the genealogy, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like Sarah, and so many others that you brought into this story. Through, through those who were pure-blood Jews, but others like Ruth, who you brought in, who you welcomed to be a part of your story of salvation, unfolding and unfolding until Jesus Christ was born of a human mother, lived among us God in flesh, and showed us the way of salvation, the way to receive salvation, to experience salvation, but also showed us the way to live in salvation. Thank you, Lord, today for the example of, of godly people like Joseph. But most importantly, we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. That when we want to know who you are, what you're like, and how you expect us to live, Jesus is our example. So today, Lord, as we've lifted up the name of Jesus in so many ways, I pray that you would draw us to you and draw people to him. And if there's anyone here, Lord, or watching online who has never trusted Christ for their salvation, would you let today be that day that they say Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.